Welcome to the Restoration Living Podcast with our host, military chaplain and spiritual care director, James Johnson. With so many voices in this world fighting for our attention, it's easy to believe that we aren't good enough, that our past will always haunt us, and that we will never measure up. But the voice of God is telling us that we can live a life of restoration in Him. Our Heavenly Father doesn't want us to let our past decisions determine our present peace. Instead, He wants us to find that life of restoration in Him. So grab your Bibles and join us as we dig into God's Word to discover timeless truths and proper application for our lives today. Hey guys, welcome back to the Restoration Living Podcast, and I hope that you have been having a great season of life that you're in, and I also hope you've been enjoying this study we've been doing on the book of Revelation. We have been able to dig deep, find uh, out by reading the Bible appropriately, using the right context, following the rules of apocalyptic literature. We've been able to make a lot of sense out of what can be seen as an, an often very confusing passage of Scripture. And this one book of the Bible has probably gotten more um, views and interpretation than anyone else. And, and hopefully you're seeing as we go through this why I believe the interpretation we're using is the proper one, that we're using the right rules of apocalyptic literature, we're using the right context clues within the passage, we're connecting it back to the Old Testament like John and his readers would have done. And we're also framing it appropriately in the events of history. The greatest thing that has helped us with this is the recognition that everything in the, the, the book of Revelation, with the exception of the stuff we'll see at the end, because we know that the um, new heavens and new earth have not happened yet, that all of that has yet to take place. But we can see how everything up until that makes sense on the pages of history, because all of those things were told to John. On, these things are going to happen soon. And so John was letting his reader know this stuff's going to happen in your lifetime. And so, so far, that's exactly what we've seen. We've seen how the seven, the seven seals of the scroll that represents the land deed of Israel were opened, showing how the land of Israel, the promised land, was taken from Israel and given to the church, given to the world, that the church, the universal worldwide church, is now God's people. Israel is included in that, but only the Israelites who have given their lives to Jesus. One of the things that is a very bad theological concept that many Bible teachers, preachers, ministers, theologians have fallen into the trap of believing is that Israel still has some special connection to the plan of God in that there's the church and that all of the Jews are God's chosen people. I've even heard some pastors say that if a person is a Jew, they go to heaven just by being a Jew. And that flies in the face of Scripture, that only those who put total trust in Jesus, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And so as we look at this, we know that that's a bad theology. We know that's a bad hermeneutic to interpret Scripture. What we have seen throughout the New Testament and specifically here in the book of Revelation is God is taking the promises of the Mosaic Covenant 
that was promised to Israel. And because of their unfaithfulness to God, God in numerous places calls Israel an adulterer for worshiping other gods and committing adultery against their covenant like they were breaking a marriage covenant. And so as we see this, we see how God is taking the, there's no longer a need to worry about a promised land. As of the time of this recording, there's a war in Palestine between the, the people of Israel and the Palestinians, and they're fighting over land. Why? Because they each believe they have a right to the territory. Muslims trace their lineage through Ishmael, and Jews trace their lineage through Isaac, and these two sons of Abraham are they're, they're thousands of years later still fighting over a piece of land. Why? Because people don't understand what Jesus taught, what the scriptures teach. There's no longer Jew or Gentile that we're all God's children when we come to Jesus. When we come through Jesus, Jesus is the gateway back into the family. And so as we look at this, we've seen how the seven seals took away the land of Israel from the nation of Israel. The promised land was removed, and now God's focus is on the whole planet instead of just one single nation. Because after the land deed was opened, no new land deed was drawn up. God has no longer a need to covenant with people over one territory. The whole world now belongs to God. You know, it already did, but God took it away from Israel and granted it to the church. And so as we've gone through the seven trumpets, we're seeing how this is the scattering of Israel. Trumpets united the people and mobilized them into action, whether to gather for a festival or to unite for the army or to gather for community events. And the same is true that we're seeing the opposite, that God is now using these trumpet judgments to scatter the people of Israel. And all of this is connected to the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel through the, the Jewish revolt, the first Jewish revolt that lasted for three and a half years. The siege of Jerusalem lasted from April of 70 AD to August of 70 AD, but the actual first Jewish revolt lasted three and a half years. And so that's the context of where we left off. When we left off, we were in Revelation chapter 12, and we've seen how these trumpets are being used mimicking the plagues that were sent on Egypt. And just as Egypt was judged for their you know, failure to obey the command of God through Moses, now Israel is being judged and God is using the Roman military, the Roman empire to do this. And so as we left off last time, we were talking about this idea of the dragon, of the serpent, of Satan. And, and we were talking about Jesus' defeat of Satan, how that cast him out. So let's look at that together. Revelation chapter 12, let's, let's backtrack a couple of verses. Let's go back to verse 7 and let's dig into that as we continue moving through this text. Starting in verse 7, then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with his angels. Now, John is continually making references to what we would call the Old Testament, to what a Jewish person would call the Tanakh, what a person at the time of John would consider the Bible. The New Testament was still being written and they would have referred back to their knowledge of the scriptures which would be in the Old Testament and we see this that Jesus even said that Jesus told the disciples he saw Satan fall like lightning 
And that was a reference to Jesus being present. Jesus is God. Jesus was there when Satan was cast out of his place in the, 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 among the sons of God. That the book of Ezekiel and other books you know, in the Bible tell us that, that Satan was once an angel. He was a heavenly being. He was an Elohim that was in charge. He was a throne guardian. He walked among the stones of fire. He was in Eden in front of the throne of God that at once upon a time and when God created the world, we talked about this before, Eden was a garden. It was a mountain paradise. It was a temple. It was where heaven and earth collided, where heaven and earth met. That God's heavenly family and his earthly family connected in Eden and that was where God put his throne on the earth. It was a connection point. And so as a throne guardian, that's what Satan would have been. Now, throne guardians in Mesopotamian culture dressed in armor that looked like snake scales, and snakes were seen as wise protectors. And so when Jesus calls him the serpent, right, when the, the serpent is cast down to the ground, these are all connections to the fact that Satan lost his position as an Elohim, a, in, as a heavenly being, as a son of God that walked among the stones of fire in Eden when he became prideful and he led a rebellion. And we see this reference where he said that, that then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. So what we see is this reference that just as Satan was defeated and cast out in the beginning of time, now he's defeated again. He was thrown down. And this great dragon, according to verse 9, the ancient serpent called the devil, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. Well, we know this is not something that happened at this point in history. It's a reference by because Satan had already been on the earth. Evil spiritual beings had already been on the planet. There were demons being cast out. There was spiritual warfare in the unseen world going on. Right When Daniel meets with Gabriel, he says that, hey, I was fighting the spirit prince of Tyre, a demon, right, a, 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 an evil Elohim that was going against the will of God, keeping Gabriel from coming to give Daniel the message. And so when we look at this, this is not saying that at this point in heaven, there's a war. It's a reference back to the end of time and saying, now we're seeing the, the war coming to fruition and culminating in the, the moment where Jesus is coming on the scene. And we've seen that before, the, the woman, right, who was clothed with the sun, right? That was Israel who had a baby. That was Jesus. All of these symbols, we have to read this and connect it to past things that we know from the scriptures. So look at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before God day and night. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. So how was Satan defeated? Jesus conquered death and the grave and defeated Satan, taking back what was lost. Now what we see in the scriptures is what often feels like many paradoxes. Many things in the Christian faith seem like opposites, that they're actually rope bridges held in tension with two extremes. Let me show you what I mean. God is 
omnipresent. He is present everywhere at one time. He's wherever I go. You know, that, that's what the psalmist wrote, right? Where can I go to hide from your presence, right? Do I climb the heights of the mountains, the depths of the sea, even in the grave? But we also know that God meets with us individually, intimately, in individual moments in time, right? Think of when God met with Abraham at the burning bush. Did God stop being omnipresent just because he spoke to Moses at that one point in time? When God meets with Abraham, right? When God meets with Gideon, all of these times, God did not surrender his omnipresence in order to meet with somebody at one point in time. Those sound like opposites, but they also work together to hold up the rope bridge of theology, of systematic theology in the Christian faith. So what we see here is Jesus had all authority already. We read that in the up when he was in the upper room and washed the disciples' feet. It said that Jesus knew that he had all authority on heaven and earth. But God is also a just God. God could have simply said the word and Satan would disappear. God has the power to create and destroy as he sees fit. His word is his will and he can make whatever happens whenever he wants to. But God's character is justice. And so God, in, a, in his justice, has to pay the price and the penalty to set things right in his economy. It would be going outside of his nature to do anything else. That's why, in order to win back and defeat death in the grave, that sin and disobedience brought death and evil. The only way to defeat it was for a second Adam to come in a just system. And God is just. God's character is justice. And so... What we see is that now salvation has come. What? The salvation and the and power and the kingdom of our God. Jesus said that the kingdom was already among them. He told, he told his, his followers that it gives our heavenly father great pleasure to give us his little flock, the kingdom. And so the kingdom's already here. From the moment Jesus began to come out of the wilderness and preach, he said, Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven has come near. It has come down from heaven and is near to us. It's accessible now. Jesus even said the kingdom is inside of us. So what does this mean? This means that God is now taking back territory that was surrendered by Adam, and God in his justice allowed Satan time to accuse. The word Satan or Shiatan in Aramaic and, and in Hebrew means the accuser, that Satan is now the accuser of the, 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 the heavenly of the, and in the heavens of God's people. But now that he's been cast down, he's been defeated. How is he defeated? Verse 11 tells us we defeat Satan by the blood of the lamb. That means Jesus' sacrifice and our testimony. Your testimony, that this is where we get the word martyr from. It's a witness. The testimony in a court of law means that they held true to the faith. It says they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. What we see in this time and in the, the upcoming scenes that we're going to see in the book of Revelation is that people are going to die for their faith in Jesus. The beast, the Roman Empire, is going to put them to death. But he's saying that that's how victory is won. And that sounds backwards because God does things in ways that seem backward to the world. We think that defeat of the enemy comes through violence, that we actually have to. And that's how I'm, I'm, a, I'm a military guy. We defeat our enemies with violence. And we don't like to think of it that way, but we do that with bullets and tanks and bombs and missiles. We do it through violence. 
but God's kingdom does not come by force. It comes by the it does, but not by force of violence. It comes by the force of love and sacrifice. That's why verse 12 says, Rejoice, O heavens, and those who live in the heavens, the heavenly beings, rejoice. So heaven is rejoicing, but terror is coming to the earth. Why? Because the devil knows he has little time. Why does the devil have little time? Because on the grand scale of eternity, God's kingdom is coming. And the church is going to spread that kingdom. And Satan has already been defeated, but he's using the time he has left to bring terror and death and destruction. Jesus said that Satan, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And so that's what Satan is trying to do. Satan is the snake, the serpent, this dragon that is clothed with the symbolism of the Roman Empire with the crowns and the horns and the heads. And that makes even more sense as we move into verse 13. Look at verse 13. When the dragon realized he'd been thrown down to the earth, when he had been defeated, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Who's the woman who gave birth to the male child? That is Israel, the nation of Israel. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle. That doesn't mean that, that, that Israel literally flew away. These are symbols. So she could fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. What we see is that even though Jerusalem and Israel is being destroyed, true Israel, right, God's followers, his faithful, were protected for times, times, and half a time. The first Jewish revolt lasted three and a half years. And so we see that what's three and a half times, three and a half years, that, that the church was protected from all of this death and destruction and carnage that came to the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel, that they fled to the wilderness. They went out into the deserts and to the neighboring towns and they were protected. And so what we see is this, this repeat right, of things we've seen before. This is a throwback to the book of Daniel. Time, times, and half a time. Daniel's prophecies are coming true now as we are looking at the destruction of Jerusalem. That just as Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus, however you say his name, I always mess it up, came into Jerusalem and sacrificed unholy offerings in the temple and destroyed it back during the, the, the time of um, what, what led to the Maccabean revolt. Now we see a seconding of that, right? A second fulfillment of that in Titus. Titus comes into the temple. He sets up a statue of Zeus in there and offers sacrifices to Zeus. And so as we look at this, all of these things are happening, referencing the things of Daniel. Look in, back in the prophecies of Daniel. Verse 15. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony. For who? For Jesus. Verse 18, then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. So what we see during this period in history is Satan knowing that he's already been defeated jesus has won the victory if you go back and listen to i know it was a while back listen to our easter 2023 episode where i outline all of the things jesus was doing in the, the mystery of god to redeem not just one nation but the whole world that the heavenly beings that were evil right the the demonic spirits and satan and, and satan and his followers were trying to to win temporary victories 
God was looking at eternal victories. And so Jesus made Satan think by dying on the cross that he'd been defeated, but he only came back and had defeated death in the grave. That's why in Revelation, he's holding the keys to death in Hades, right? Why? Because he's defeated them. He has keys. He has authority over those things. So now that Jesus has risen and the church is spreading, the church started with Israel and then spread to the Gentiles, Satan wants to destroy Israel, and he uses Rome to do it. As it says, but as this flood came, the earth helped the woman, right, by opening its mouth and swallowing the river. So as as this this persecution spreads, the church is protected because persecution may have been illegal, like like it may have, it may have been legal to persecute Christians all over the Roman Empire, but it came in waves and it came in pockets. And so there were many places that were safe for Christians and Jews to flee to, but specifically, you know, Christians who came from the Jewish background, that had a Jewish lineage. And so we see that the dragon was angry and declared war on, on who? Who is the people who keep God's covenants and maintain their testimony for Jesus? That's the church. So what we see now is after Israel is defeated and the, the church flies to the wilderness, that Satan tries to attack them, but God gives them relief. This flood that comes out looks like it goes over the whole empire because it's illegal all over Rome of the Roman Empire to be a Christian. But what we see is that God gives relief. There are safe places for Christians to go and to survive and to, and to continue living during this great time of tribulation. And then we see in verse 18, then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. Now the word then lets us know it follows next. So what have we seen so far in this symbolism? Satan came to destroy Jerusalem. The church listened to Jesus's prophecy to, to when you see these signs, you need to get out. And they did. They fled Jerusalem and went into the wilderness, into the mountains, and they survived. And now Jesus is, is protecting them while the earth is opening up and swallowing this flood of persecution that is now coming on the church after the end of the destruction of Jerusalem and the retaking of Israel after the first Jewish revolt. So the, what we're seeing is a repeat, right? That the, just as the flood would have destroyed the earth, this flood is trying to destroy the church. But the earth swallows it up, meaning that there are parts in the world that are safe for, for the church to survive. And all of this is a throwback to referencing past imagery. And so as we finish up chapter 12 and start chapter 13, we're seeing how Satan, knowing that God's kingdom is coming, he's already been cast out and defeated by Jesus. And now people are able to, if they die and in Christ, they live for eternity. But Satan still wants to do what he can with the time he has left. And so he's bringing persecution on God's people, on the church, true Israel. So now let's look at in our, in our, we've got time to go into the next chapter. Let's look in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 13. Let's look at that together. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its head. Written on each head were names that blaspheme God. This beast looked like a lion, like a leopard, excuse me, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. Now, what do we see here? Where have we seen beasts come out of the water before in the Bible? Daniel's vision of beasts. And Daniel is told what those beasts refer to. Those beasts symbolize empires that will control Israel. 
And we know that each one followed in succession. We had the Babylonians, which were defeated by the Medo-Persians, right? The Persians were defeated by the Greeks, also called the Seleucid Empire. The Seleucid Empire was defeated by Rome. And so this beast coming out of the ocean is the same thing that we saw in the book of Daniel and Daniel's visions, that Daniel saw a beast come out of the water and had teeth of iron, right? And that was the Roman Empire. And we see that this beast is a, is a reference to all of the things that the previous empires had, right? All the previous empires had these animals, right? A leopard, a bear, and a lion. All of these were symbols of previous empires. Why? Because Rome has defeated the land that all of those empires covered and now has made a new beast made up of those parts that is coming against Israel, is coming against the church. And so what we see, the dragon, Satan, <clears throat> gives the beast, gives Rome his power and throne and great authority. Rome covered the entire known world. In the eyes of John's readers, Rome was evil. And it had the authority that Satan had because Satan stole the rule of the world from Adam and Eve, right? Through their deception, they lost their ability to reign over the earth. And Satan, according to Jesus, is the king of this world. Even though he's been defeated, he still is holding on to his throne and his power. And he gives that to Rome. And so all of this, if you know your references, you know that what this is. So hopefully this makes sense. I hope you, I'm not just pulling at straws here. I'm using the references and symbols of apocalyptic literature to go back to what, John, what John's readers would have understood. When we look at this beast, this beast has all these symbols on it, right? Look, look at what it has. It has seven heads, right? Just like, the, just like the dragon, right? Rome was called the city of seven hills. It had 10 horns and 10 crowns on its horns. We're going to find out in a little bit, just as we already know, that horns are representing rulers. From the time of the first Caesar until Constantine, there were 10 Caesars. And these were all persecutors of the church in different shapes, forms, and fashions, and, and levels, right? They came against God's people. Now, of course, the church didn't exist in, until Nero and his predecessor. But it's saying that these rulers were against God. They were, they were enemies to God's people. And so what we're seeing here is this beast represents Rome and the dragon, Satan, is giving Rome his power and authority, that he is partnering with this beast. And it's a symbol of the evil that the Roman Empire would do and the lifestyle, the pagan lifestyle they would live. Now, in our remaining time, we can cover two more verses. So let's let's do that together. And this beast is Rome. The dragon is Satan. The, be the beast is coming out to, to wage war against the church, against God's people. Verse 3, I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Now, one of the heads of the beast, right? this is talking about one of the areas, uh, the rulers of Rome, right? It, and most people think, and we don't know 100% for sure, but looking at where we are in history, it seems like this refers to Caesar Nero. That Nero, at this point, was, was struck down 
and, and killed, um, and, and he had a head injury. But people became uh, fascinated and rumors spread that Nero came back to life. And even though he would commit suicide in 68 AD, he had a servant stab him. However, one of the things that we see is that people believed that Nero came back to life. What we really see, though, even though Nero didn't come back to life, is faith in the Roman Empire continued to be strengthened, and the persecution of Christians and the war Nero started continued even after his death. And so it looked like at Nero's death that, that this would come to an end, but it didn't. And so whether this is a, 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 a the rumors of Nero coming back to life that were unfounded, whether it, it represents the persecution of the church, we're not 100% clear. I would be lying if I told you we know 100% for sure. But what we see is it looks like Rome, on some shape, form, or fashion, one of the heads of the beast was injured, but it came back to life. It's possible to also interpret this as since it's not a, a horn that was hit, but a head that was hit, saying that part of Rome was, was taken captive. And that's possible too. During this time, Rome fought with many people, including the Persians. And so what we see is that as the barbarians and the, the Germanic tribes and the Visigoths and the, and, the, and the Persians all fought against the Roman Empire, they would take territory and people would continue to believe, oh, Rome is over, Rome's being defeated. But then they would take it back. And people would champion Rome again and say, "Who can who can defeat Rome? Nobody can stand up against the you know the the the, the empire of Rome." And so people believed in that. So we're not a hundred percent sure. Is this referring to Nero and his persecution? Is this referring to territory, one of the parts of Rome? Is this referring to you know the destruction and burning of Rome under Nero? We don't know a hundred percent for sure. There's no clear understanding of this. But what we do see is that part of the beast, whether that was Nero, the city of Rome, or part of the empire being taken and came back. Rome was rebuilt. Caesars continued to reign, and Rome recaptured its territory. So whichever way, and there may, if there's another one, I'm not aware of other possible interpretations of that symbol. But what we see is that now the beast is continuing to grow in power and persecution of Christians are going to continue on. So what do we do with this? Well, what we're recognizing is this is not some future end times prophecy of some one world government. This is not some prediction that one day, someday, there's going to be a great world leader that's an antichrist that's going to rule the whole world with one world currency and one language, all this stuff. This happened in the past. It's following the course of history. We're making sense of the symbols. And so it's all falling into place. And you and I can rest in knowing that because this has happened, we don't have to live in fear of the future. We know that when Jesus comes back again, he's going to set everything right. And in the meantime, we're supposed to bring the kingdom. So until then, let that be our heartbeat, to bring the kingdom of God here on earth like it is in heaven. And until next time, I pray you're be blessed. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We pray that God uses it to inform your mind, improve your life, and ignite your heart with a renewed passion to impact others for the kingdom of God. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can continue along with us on this journey of restoration living.